Well, in chapter one of Zechariah, we met the prophet and we met a repentant people who he was speaking to. And we began to meet this angel and some of these visions. And I know some of these visions have been called some of the strangest visions in all of the scriptures. Um, but of course, they were written down for our instruction and for our learning. And chapter one takes us through um, the concept of, of these this patrol that was sent out by God and how God is aware of what's going on with his people, how they are uh, persecuted and little and weak. And he says, I'm going to come back and bless you. There have been these horns that have destroyed you, but I'm now going to bring in four craftsmen that will destroy in turn the nations of those horns. And then we come to chapter two. And here the, the third vision again, kind of, again, he's sleeping. It seems like all these happen in, in one night. And here Zechariah kind of closes his eyes, if you will, opens them again and it starts out I lift then I lifted up my eyes and looked and behold there was a man with a measuring line in his hand and we might wonder well what is this measuring line you know is it a is it a tape measure or 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 what exactly is it and there's several instances throughout the scriptures where a measuring line is is referenced uh, like lamentations and Isaiah and these different uh, places, but generally, when the measuring line is referenced, it, it is referenced with respect to like measuring Jerusalem. But that's not, you know, normally seen as a good thing. It's more like the Lord is coming, and He's measuring to find out, you know, where things are. And so, for instance, one reference is Isaiah twenty-eight. In verse 17, he says, I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the level and hail will sweep away the refuge of lies and the waters will overflow the secret place and your covenant of death will not be uh, canceled and, and etc. And Lamentations is very similar. It talks about all of, all of how there's measuring lines going to be stretched out and the result is going to be Israel's going to be destroyed. It's like a, a judgment or, or a measure of how righteous or how just this uh, place is. But here it's clear that it's different because this measuring line references back to what we had in chapter 1, where in verse uh, 16 he says, My house will be built in it. Speaking about Jerusalem, declares the Lord of hosts, and a measuring line will be stretched over Jerusalem. So the thought there is that it's more of like a surveyor. It's not a justice or, or, a, or a thought of punishment. It's more like a surveyor. You know, when, when um, we bought our house here in Missouri, um, one of the first things that we did, I think it was actually done before we went under contract, so it must have been done by the previous owners, but one of the things that was done was a survey was done. And when you're going to buy a piece of property, typically you do a survey. Because you want to know exactly where the limits of that property are. And a survey will also tell you, you know, if somebody else has some claim on the property that you're not aware of. So that's more the sense. I mean, he says here that he's going to go to measure Jerusalem. 
to see how wide it is and how long it is. And the thought there is, you know, if you're going to go measure a city, it's because you plan to take it as yours and you plan to build in it. So you need to know the dimensions so that you can start, you know, planning out your building. And that's exactly what we find here. It's a very interesting scene because this angel that he was talking with, he kind of has like an angel that seems to be like guiding him through through these. And, and he keeps explaining, you know, this is what you're seeing. And in this particular case, it seems like that angel is 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 going out, it says, with this measuring line. And he says, well, where are you going? He says to measure Jerusalem. And then it says another angel was also going out. He basically chases him down as he leaves. And he says, go and tell that young man, which I believe would be the prophet, this. And so essentially he he's going out. This is the, the, the scene. It's, it's the Lord presenting to his people that I have plans for you. I am measuring Jerusalem and, and I'm excited about building here. And he's he's on the verge of going out. And then he gets this message to come back and lay out, even before he goes to measure, if you will, to lay out before uh, the prophet so that he can convey to the people a little bit of what the Lord's plans actually are for this city. Okay, so now, uh, the first thing he says is that Jerusalem will be inhabited without walls because of the multitude of men and cattle within it. So, as we know, I mean, today they don't build walls around cities, but in this day, walls were a very effective defense and you would build massive walls. I mean, it's hard to imagine a wall that is 150 feet high. Uh, but that is how high the walls at Tyre were at this time. Um, also, the wall is 75 feet thick. I mean, that's so thick, but that was the, the thickness of the walls at Jerusalem at this time. In other words, during this day and age, walls were a very big deal. It was, it was the way you defended your city. I mean, it was all conventional weapons. They did have some siege weapons at this time, you know, things that could throw stones and battering rams and, you know, stuff that you see in medieval type, you know, movies or whatever. Um, this was the timeline of Alexander the Great. He would come on the scene shortly after this. So you kind of get the picture that the idea of a city without walls immediately sounds like a city that's doomed to be conquered. And he says the reason it won't have walls is because there won't be any room for walls. There's going to be so many people that are inside of this city. It says because of the multitude of men and cattle within it, that they're just, it's like what we think of as a modern city. I mean, where would you draw a wall or put a wall around New York City? I mean, around the city center. I mean, we're, like, where do you where do you stop? You know, and that's the picture for Jerusalem here. It's just so big and so many people. There's just no wall. But again, you have the question: Well, what about protection? And so he says, "For I declares the Lord will be a wall of fire around her, and I will be the glory 
in her midst. Now, the wall of fire around her, isn't that so reminiscent of how the Lord protected his people Israel when he called them out of Egypt? It was a pillar of, of fire by day that would guide them and a cloud of smoke at night. And there is that you know, famous scene where the Egyptians are coming up and the people of Israel, Moses stretches his hand out over the Red Sea and it parts and they start marching through, but the Egyptians are right there. And so it talks about how this cloud removes and, and stands behind them in between the Egyptians and the people of Israel until they got over. You know, it's so hard to believe that the Egyptians, after seeing this pillar of fire uh, and cloud in front of them, still after it gets out of the way, say, oh, good, let's go through the hole in the water. But they do and, and, and they're drowned. And, but in any case, this is a reference to, I mean, maybe it's physical, a physical wall of fire, a literal wall of, of fire. Um, but regardless of whether it's literal or whether it's figurative language, it means that the Lord is going to protect these people. So even though there aren't physical walls of stone, they're going to be well protected. And then in addition to this, he references the, um, that he will also be the glory in the midst. And this makes me think of Revelation 20. One, which towards the end of the chapter is talking about, I believe, this same situation. And, and there he writes, um, I saw no temple in it for the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it for the glory of God has illumined it. And its lamp is the Lamb. And it's a beautiful scene of just thinking of how the Lord is the one who is inside of this place and who is the glory that's in the midst. There's another reference to this in Isaiah 60 where it says, No longer will you have the sun for light by day, nor, the bright, nor for brightness will the moon give you light, but you will have the Lord for an everlasting light and your God for your glory. So this is a time that's clearly in the future. The Lord is uh, laying out to these people, these are the plans that I have for Jerusalem. You know, I'm going to measure it. This is what I'm, I'm planning to do with it. Now, at no point in history has this ever, you know, happened unless walls of fire can be breached because after this prophecy, Jerusalem is going to be laid waste over and over and over again by Antiochus Epiphanes, by, you know, different, different ones throughout history. And of course, famously by Titus in AD 70, when he completely levels the place. But it's going to be captured and conquered many times between now, even in AD 70. So this is a, uh, not something that we can look at as having happened in the past. This is something that the Lord is laying before them. This is what I have in mind for you. This is what I plan for this city. And it's to be an encouragement. So he goes on to a practical point and he says, Ho there, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I've dispersed you as the four winds of heaven, declares the Lord. Ho Zion, escape you who are living with the daughter of Babylon. 
Now, that was certainly instruction for them in that day. And I think we talked about this last time that there was a great group of people that were of Israel, but were living in Babylon. You know, I think we talked about if, if you went down to Mexico and you were living in Mexico for like 50 years and then you got the news, hey, you can go back to your house. I mean, it's leveled and burned. And I mean, you can go back. I mean, would you? Would you go back? Well, that was the case for so many of these Israelites. They said, you know, look, I, I mean, what are we going to go back to? There isn't even a temple there. Uh, we're we have our life here. We got a house. We got, look, my kids, my grandkids. Are, I mean, I'm going to stay here. But here the Lord gives this call. Ho there, flee from the land of the north, uh, declares the Lord. For I have dispersed you as the four winds of heaven. Ho Zion, escape you who are living with the daughter of Babylon. Now, it's very interesting that while this was, you know, very applicable to them during this day, it is a call that is repeated in Revelation chapter 18. So I'll just read that. I heard, uh, and he's talking about Babylon in verse two, it says, you know, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She's become a dwelling place of demons, etc. And then verse four says, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. So he's saying here in Revelation 18, get out of Babylon. And there it means something a little bit different than it means here, but it, I mean, the, the force is the same. There it's saying, you know, separate yourself from this religious system, get don't be a part of this. Be a part of my company, the 144,000, you know, that are sealed. Be be a part of this group. Don't have anything to do with Babylon. Don't be part of religious Babylon. He's saying, come out of her. And Babylon there speaks of confusion. Um, it, you know, it makes you think of Babel, right? The Tower of Babel, when the Lord came down and confused their voices and everybody saying different things. Well, here... Ba Babylon, and we're going to see this again in Zechariah, Babylon is a figure of, of evil and a figure of not like pure evil necessarily, but of idolatry, of, of you know, confusion, of everything that the Lord is against. And so much of his people at this time were living in Babylon because Babylon was what had conquered them. And he says, ho there, hey, everybody who's living there, run away, come back to Jerusalem. And he says, after glory, he has sent me against the nations which plunder you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. The apple of his eye, I understand, is like his eyeball, actually. So he's saying, if he who touches Israel is like poking me in the eye, <laughs> You know, the eye is a very vulnerable. If someone pokes you in the eye, you typically respond. And God is saying, I am going to respond. I am going to take out Babylon. Okay? And he's saying, you need to leave and, and, and you know, get out of there. And this is, again, it's still future. I, I believe this is, is, is a repeat of the call that will happen in Revelation 18, uh, or Revelation 18, I should say, is repeating this. And yet it's a call to the people who were living in Babylon at that time. He's saying, come out, come back. 
And he says, uh, I will wave my hand over them so that they will be plundered for their slaves and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. So he's saying, Babylon is not a good future. That's not where you want to end up. Don't go there. And don't stay there. Rather, come back to Jerusalem. And then he says, sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day and will become my people. Then I will dwell in your midst and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. The Lord will possess Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. So he returns to this thought of I'm measuring Jerusalem, you know, to see how big it is. I'm taking possession. Here's my plans for it. And his, his I don't know if you could say his capping plan or, or his caps, <laughs> the, I don't know what the right term is, but but the ultimate goal is that the Lord himself is going to come and is going to live in Zion, like those verses we read in Revelation. He will be the glory that's in the midst of Zion at that time. And so he's saying, come back. This is the future of this city. And even if the people, which is certainly true, the people that would have come back in response to this would have never, of course, seen the Lord in Zion because they would have died, you know, even before the Lord Jesus came, never mind the 2,000 years after that you know, to where we're living now. But the people that came back at that time and responded, they're the people, I mean, their descendants, whatever, it's, this is amazing, that, that are there now. <laughs> they're the people that, if you will, were held together, if you will, even through AD 70 and the destruction and the selling into slavery and all of that, the people of the Judean, yeah, I mean, yes, there were the diaspora, you know, the the, the scattering, there were the all the other people that, uh, that, that, that were in the other lands. But in general, it's the people that came back that were preserved. And so you look at, at the land of Israel today, these people that responded to this call, you know, 2,700 or 2,400 years ago, or however long it was, uh, ago it was, it's their descendants that are in the land now. And, you know, as far as we know, are very soon going to actually see these things come to pass. Of course, we don't know when, but you know, says the coming of the Lord is is nearer than when we believe. So we assume that it's very near. Um, and then the final verse says, Be silent all flesh before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. And it's kind of like, have you ever, you know, kind of uh, heard uh, the, the expression, you know, everybody held their breath, you know, just everyone's it, it's such a moment of of tension and of, of, you know, oh no, what's going to happen? Everyone just kind of, <gasps> and everybody just holds their breath. This is kind of, I think, the thought of be silent all flesh before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. It's like the Lord gets up, if you will, out of his chair, and you can tell he's going to do something, and everybody just goes, <gasps> you know, okay, what's going to happen now? And everyone, if you will, is just silent and waiting for the creator of the universe to step into Jerusalem and do what he's going to do, which is going to reign over everything. So this is a wonderful story. Uh, I shouldn't say a story per se, but prophecy of what is going to happen to Jerusalem, what the Lord's plans are for Jerusalem. He unveils them to his people and he says, come back. Don't live in Babylon. Here's the future for Israel. Come back. And so, you know, what's the application uh, for, for us? Well, I, I think the application is very simply 
that the Lord gives the same call to us. I mean, we, we can look around. I mean, Babylon is, you can think of it as confusion, even religious confusion. And, and, and we can end up in Babylon in this sense where we're just kind of going through the motions of Christianity and we're not really engaged with, with the Lord. And, and the Lord calls repeatedly. And part of the call and part of the principle of faith is looking forward to what's coming in the future. And here he lays out what's coming in the future. And he does the same for us in the New Testament. And he says, here's my plans for you. And I've revealed them to you through the Spirit. And I want you to get a hold of these plans and enjoy them. And come back, if you will, to me and be close to me and build my temple and my house. So it's as we see what the Lord is planning that we are able to be drawn into it and to have our hearts refreshed and to follow the Lord anew.